I want to thank those of you who provided Sue and I with a meal, either in your home or have taken us out. It's just been just a genuine joy. I've just enjoyed it. Uh, I know Sue has uh, so much the hospitality extended to us. It's what Christians ought to do, and it's what you have done. And your kindness and your hospitality will certainly not be soon forgotten. Always good to be with Randy and Janet. Uh, they are just someone that I, I love very, very dearly, and Sue does as well. But of course, now, just the fact that he's my cousin doesn't have anything to do with that. Uh, but uh, uh, the fact that he's my brother and she is my sister in Christ is, is more meaningful to me than just about anything. So thank you all for your hospitality. Love the dungeon. Uh, I really did. <laughs> It, it, it was, we got to come up every, every great once in a while, but uh, it, was, it, it was a blessing indeed. In, in I want to begin our study this evening from the 10th chapter of the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible with you, and I hope that you do, uh, you, you'll examine this passage with me. And I'm going to leave this passage in just a minute, and I'm going to come back to it and kind of bounce around a little bit. Uh, during the course of our, uh, our study. But I, I want to set up our study this evening by just noting with you verses 25, 26, and 27. Uh, or, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll just read verses 25 and 26, and then we'll uh, put verse 27 up on the projector. But we find uh, that uh, verse 25 begins in, in, in Luke chapter 10, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying... Now, let me stop and say something about this before going on. When the Bible talks about a lawyer like that, it isn't talking about someone who would go to a court and litigate a, uh, you know, a trial or anything in a, in a court of law. Not like we think of lawyers today. A lawyer in the Scripture would have been someone who was an expert in the law of Moses. They were scholars insofar as the law of God was concerned. So this lawyer would have been someone who was very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. He would have been someone who was well-schooled in the Old Testament. And he comes to Jesus and he's, he's going to ask Jesus a trick question. He's going to ask Jesus a question in order to entrap him or in order to test him. A certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's not a bad question. The question itself is an excellent question. The motive behind this, according to Luke, the writer of this account, is one of trickery. He's intending to test Jesus. And Jesus responded to him in verse 26 by saying, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So what Jesus does, and there isn't anything wrong with this. Jesus is not trying to be evasive. Jesus is not trying to in any way avoid what the man asked. But what Jesus does is turn that question around. Jesus would have been able to read this man's heart knowing that it is a trick question. So Jesus asked him, what does the Bible say? What's written in the law? And not only did Jesus want to know what that man knew about what was written in the law, but he wanted to know, does he have an understanding of it? What does it say? Uh, what is your reading of it? So what is written in the law and what is your reading of it? Now I want you to notice what the man did. The man responded this way in answer to Jesus' question. He said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he adds this, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, this man answers the question 
that Jesus asked him, what is written in the law? You want to know how to have eternal life? Now, he's not talking about here like, uh, like we would answer someone today, what must I do to be saved? He didn't answer that like Peter did in Acts 2 and verse 37. But he answers it this way as well. Now, we've got to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, we've got to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, he's really referring to a passage back in the sixth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And then he goes into the book of Leviticus, chapter 19 and verse 18, and he brings those together. And this is something that we often see in the scriptures, especially in, 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 in the gospels of, 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 uh, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and also we'll see it even in the book of Romans. But I want you to notice something. This is something that is said over and over and over again. Love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus in Matthew 19, it was pointed out to him also the need to do this, keep the commandments, including that. And the scribe who came to Jesus in Matthew 22, and again in Mark 12, Mark's account of that, again are told to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says this is essential in Romans chapter 13 and verse 9. James says to love our neighbor as ourself fulfills the royal law. And so the, the, this shows us just how very important it is. But I'm going to tell you something, my friends. You cannot separate the two commands. You cannot divorce these commands. Our love for God is the source of our love for our neighbor. And our love for our neighbor demonstrates our love for God. Now, if I were to challenge you this evening and ask you, and I don't look, I, I, I'm not anticipating a, an audible response, but if I were to ask you, do you obey this command? How would you answer that? Now, just do it to yourself. Do I love my neighbor as myself? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said it's a command. And this is a command that's found many times in the scriptures. Now, do I do that? Do I love my neighbor as myself? And then if I answer that to my satisfaction in the affirmative, then how is that demonstrated? How does that look? How does that, you know, how, how would that be examined, you know, you know in, a, in, in a way that could be known? Do I love my neighbor as myself? And if I do, how does that manifest itself? And really, then what, you know, I guess the question we should have asked is, is, is what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? You're not going to tell you something, my friends. I think what happens many times is we, we allow ourselves to become anesthetized or numb to this command. I really do. I, I think it prevents us. I, I think being numb to this prevents us from seeing the need to do this, from understanding what it's about, and from actually doing it. So I, I, I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you an illustration of this. Three times in the book of Luke, we find an interest, or three interesting scenarios presented to us, and all of them have to do, to one degree of another, with what I'm talking about. So if we're answering the question, yes, I, I, I love my neighbor, uh, uh, let me ask you this. 
When you read in Luke's account of the gospel, Luke 16, Luke 7, and Luke 10, about three events with which we are all familiar, what do you see? When you look into these accounts, what do you see? Now that's a very important question, and I'm going to come back to it in the course of our study. But in Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, here is a poor man by the name of Lazarus lying at the gate of a rich man. What do you see when you see that? And in Luke chapter 7, there's an account of a Pharisee by the name of Simon having a party, and this woman crashes the party. And the Bible says that she is a sinner. What do you see when someone does that? And then there's the account that we're looking at right here in Luke chapter 10, where the man asked the Lord what, you know, what to do, and Jesus then tells a story that we often refer to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And a man had fallen among the thieves. What do you see? When you look at these accounts, what do you see? And the reason that I ask that, I'm going to tell you, because what you see determines what you do. And what you see is often determined not by what's actually going on, but how you perceive what's going on. That's why Jesus asked the man, you know, what's written in the law, and what is your perception of it? How do you read it? So what I see determines what I do. And what I see is determined not maybe by actually what my eyes are focused upon, but how I view that or how I perceive that. Now let me show you. I want to go to the scriptures and I want to go to each one of these and I want to show you something about them. So let's go to the 16th chapter first and we'll notice the account of the rich man and Lazarus. And I'm not going to preach a sermon on the rich man and Lazarus. I'm just simply using this to illustrate something. In the 19th, in the 19th verse of Luke chapter 16, Jesus says this and I'm just going to read a few verses here. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So here was a guy who had anything he wanted, everything he needed. He was one who wanted for nothing. But now notice the word that begins verse 20. I often tell people when you see this conjunction but, B-U-T, in the scriptures, what you need to look at, it, look at it as a hinge. And you know what a hinge does to a door? It opens the door. It swings this way and it swings that way. So when we look at this word but, we're seeing a hinge here. We've already noted the rich man and now it swings the other way. But there's also a beggar. His name is Lazarus and he's full of sores. I want you to think about the, the, uh, you know, the abscessed sores that are on this man lying out there in the street and maybe there would be oozing pus I don't know he's in bad shape he was laid at the gate or at his gate that is the gate of the rich man the Greek word for laid is the word ballo and I simply point that out because that is exactly the same word that our Lord uses back in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13 when he's talking about salt that has lost its savor and he said what it is it's thrown out it's thrown out and so when this word is used here and it says laid, it's the same word that means thrown out. Lazarus is just thrown out, cast aside, and lying in the street. And it says, moreover, the dogs, the dogs come and, 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 and lick at his sores. Now this is not 
pet dogs. This would be scavenger, wild dogs. And so now we find here is someone that's lying at the gate of a rich man. And I'm going to tell you something what Jesus does. Jesus puts a name to this man. Jesus names this man. But you know what was happening? What was happening is all of the people, the rich man and everybody else, you know what they did? They just walked by and they ignored him. To them he was a vagrant. To them he was a bum. To him he was a tramp. To them he was a freeloader. Somebody you didn't give the time of day to. That's what they saw lying in the street. Reminds me of a song that I heard a long time ago. Only a tramp was Lazarus' sad fate who laid down by the, at the rich man's gate. He begged for some crumbs from the rich man to eat, but they left him to die like a tramp in the street. Transport yourself back. You're walking by, and you saw this man who was just thrown out. Abscesses all over his body. Pus oozing out, making one sick the smell and just walking by. What would you see? What did you see when you looked at the rich, uh, looked at the Lazarus at the gate of the rich man? Did you see nothing but a tramp in the street? Because you see, what we see determines what we do. But now let's move on. Let's move on now to the seventh chapter of the book of Luke, and let's notice another account here. We find in Luke chapter 7, as I said a little earlier, a man by the name of Simon who was a Pharisee, a very strict Jew, a very, you know, very much in tune with what the Scriptures taught and very much in tune with the traditions that would surround the Scripture. Well, he had a feast. And verse 37 of Luke chapter 7 reminds us that a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Here was a woman coming. She, she wasn't invited to this party. She wasn't invited to this feast, but she heard the master was there. And I want to go in and get a look at Jesus. And so she comes in, and she stood at his feet behind him in verse 38. She was so moved, the Bible says, she was weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, I want you to notice the response. What do you see? What do you see? Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, speaking of Jesus, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now let me stop and say some things here. If you look in the commentaries, and you look in those who study these matters, they're all going to almost reach a unanimous conclusion and say, this woman was probably a lady of the night. This woman was probably a harlot. This woman was probably a prostitute. This woman was someone that society would look down on as nothing but a tramp. And now she comes in to this party. And she has the audacity to touch Jesus who was at this time the guest of honor. 
So what do you see? Well, I'll tell you what Simon saw when he looked upon her. He saw someone who was nothing but walking filth. She doesn't even need to be here. And she certainly doesn't need to touch his feet. And if he were who everybody says he was, he wouldn't have anything to do with this woman as well. She is just an irredeemable sinner. She was just someone who is beyond the concern of that good crowd. So what you see determines what you do. Now, i got to tell you something. I, I, now, listen, don't misunderstand me. I, I'm in no way, shape, manner, or form condemn, uh, condoning her lifestyle if, in fact, the commentators are correct. I'm not condoning that at all. But i tell you what you need to understand. You, you need to stop and understand that just like Jesus did, he recognized here was someone who needed salvation. Here was someone who needed compassion. Here was someone that he would die for in just a short while. Here is someone who is created in the image of God. I don't understand how she got where she is. I have no way of knowing what happened here. But I look at, you know, I sometimes I look at alcoholics and drug, uh, drug addicts and other prostitutes. You know, it's disgusting, sure. It, it, it is. You know, but, I, but, but what is your response to that? What is your response to that person? You see, what you see determines what you do. And what you see is based on your perception. A number of years ago, a number of years ago in a congregation where I was preaching, there was a fellow come into the assembly one Sunday morning. I didn't know who he was. I'd never seen him before. He looked to be a young man of about 30 years old. And, and he comes in, and, and you could kind of tell by just looking at him that this was somewhere that he normally would not be found. But he came in, and he found a seat about halfway up in the, on one side of the building, and he sat down all by himself. And one young woman sitting on the other side of the building, she recognized who he was. And she, she recognized that he was someone that she had gone to school with. And she knew a little bit of his history. She knew that he had gotten involved in drugs. She knew that he had gotten involved with, with the law and he had been in trouble. And she knew a lot about his history. And do you know what her response was? Do you know what she saw? When he came in, her response indicated what she saw. She looked over at him, held her nose high in the air, and said, what's he doing here? Well, that's what Simon the Pharisee did with this woman. What's she doing here? Here is somebody who's nothing but a tramp. Here's somebody who's nothing but a prostitute. Somebody who's not worth at the time of day. It's disgusting. And I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the truth of the matter is, as long as you and I live in a field of orchids, we'll never be able to have any compassion on those who smell of misery. This woman would have been somebody's daughter. She was somebody's sister. She was at one time a girl of 10 years old whose mother and father had great dreams and aspirations about her, had hopes that things would turn out. I don't know why. And I don't know how she ended up where she was. But I do know that when Jesus looked upon her, he saw someone who was the daughter of God. Now, he's not condoning that kind of sinful life. As a matter of fact, he goes on and tells her in verse 48 that her sins have been forgiven. And believe me, her sins would have been many. But what would we have seen had we been at Simon's 
feast. What you see determines what you do. And what you see is determined by the, your perception of what it is that you see. But now let's go back to where we began. In Luke chapter 10. Because what Jesus does is when Jesus tells him that he's answered that correctly when he said, Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, You've answered rightly, you do this and you will live. And this man wanting to justify himself. Jesus already told him, if you want to go to heaven, you're going to have to love God and you're going to have to love your neighbor as yourself. And so his answer was, and who is my neighbor? And I would be willing to say that maybe we have already drifted into that in our minds. Well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus then tells him a story. Jesus said a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves. He's talking about robbers here. He's talking about highwaymen. He's talking about people who had absolutely no regard for human life and human welfare. Here was a man that was traveling this road and these thieves come upon him and they beat him nearly half to death. They stripped him naked of his clothes. They stole everything that he had. Left him lying in the road half dead just like an animal that had been run over in the street. But I tell you, wait a minute. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. Here's this man lying there, just like a possum had been run over, just like a raccoon had been run over, but help is on the way. Here comes some religious people. Now, by chance, a certain priest. You know, a priest is one who was in charge of temple sacrifices. Here was somebody who was in tune with sacrificing to God. A certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Well, there goes the hell. And then he said, well, wait a minute. Now, all hope is not lost. Now, likewise, a Levite. A Levite would have been someone who was possibly not a priest, but he assisted the priest in their sacrifices. Here were temple worshipers. Here were tithe givers. In our vernacular today, this would have been good Christian folk who are on their way to church or either on their way from church. Likewise, a Levite. And when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But, now there's that hinge again. There's that hinge that's going to swing the other way. But a certain Samaritan, a Samaritan was a half-breed, religious, religiously and ethnically and racially divided. At hated, hated by the Jews. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Here was this Samaritan. He didn't see a Jew. He didn't see somebody who was... Uh, you know, unworthy to be touched. He didn't see somebody who was, yes, you just walk on by. He saw somebody that was in need and he had compassion on him. Bandaged his wounds, rubbed him in oil, put oil on him medicinally, and, and, and took him to an end. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. Here's what the Samaritan, you know how, you know how much that is? I'm going to tell you something. 
one denarii is a day's wage. And so he's going to give him two days, he's going to give the innkeeper two days' wages to take care of this man. And by the way, do you know how much it would have cost in the first century to stay in an inn? It would have cost one thirty-second of a denarii. And so you do the math and you see how long this man would have been permitted to stay there and recover all at the expense of the Samaritan. And said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Now what Jesus is doing is answering the man's question, who is my neighbor? Here was a traveler, robbed, beaten, and stripped. And here was a priest and a Levi that just walked on by. They were heartless, blind, indifferent, and insensitive. You know what? To them, he was nothing more than a tramp in the street. A fellow said one time, he said, You turn on the six o'clock news and another soldier dies. He said, I tried to hide it, but I couldn't help it. I had to cry. And he said, When my little boy asked, Daddy, was he your friend? I said, no. I didn't even know him. But he was somebody's somebody. He was a neighbor, a husband, a brother, a father. He was a mother's son, possibly an uncle, a cousin, somebody's best friend. And I'm sure at times he was a soldier to lean on. He was somebody's someone. So rather than looking at this man that had been beaten, and looking at somebody that's not worthy of the time of day, here was this Samaritan who looked on him and said, you know what, he's somebody's someone. This traveler is someone who's made in the image of God. He's a son, he's a brother, he's a husband, he's a father, he is someone in need. And then Jesus lays the axe to the root. So, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? You want to know who your neighbor is? Jesus said, let me tell you. I'll give you this story. Now you answer the question. And the man answered this way. He said, well, he who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now there is three accounts, three scenarios of what it means to love your neighbor. And remember, what you see determines what you do. Now let's, let's update this just a minute. Let's update this and let me ask you, what do you see? You don't see a Lazarus. And you don't see a woman crashing Simon's party. And you don't see a man that had been beaten by the thieves. But you know, you might see someone who has spent his life in a bottle of whiskey. You might have seen someone who has become a homeless individual or someone uh, of a different ethnicity or a different race who is in need. What do we do when we see somebody like that? What you see determines what you do. Are we able to just walk on by like they're just tramps in the street? And just go back to our lives and whatever those lives happen to be. Now I'm not talking here about enabling bad behavior and enabling bad choices. No, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about who is our neighbor. Jesus said go and do likewise. What do you see when you see someone like that? And furthermore, what do we see when we look upon maybe some younger people who are 
Uh, just some simply, this is quit working on me. I have some other slides here, but I don't know what the problem is. But what do you see when you look at people like this? Is the, this is the real issue that I'm talking about. When we look at someone of a different race or someone that has fallen upon hard times, what do we see when we look upon people like that? Because what we see determines what we do. And Jesus tells us that we are to love our neighbors. And I, and I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to set aside the stereotypes. We've got to set aside the preconceived ideas. We've got to look beyond all of these things. And I've got to tell you something. It's not going to do us any good to just look at somebody and say, well, you know what, they, they brought all of this on themselves. Perhaps they did. Perhaps we could make a case that the, that, that the traveler should not have been walking that desolate road all by himself. Perhaps we can make that case. But he walked it and now he is in need. And what should be our response? Well, let's understand this. Let's, let's just stop and make some applications here. We've already talked about the need to love our neighbors. How, how do we do this? Remember what Jesus, what Jesus said was, a, was the correct answer to this man. We are to love our neighbors, now listen to me, as ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, wait, wait a minute, somebody said, well, hey, hold on, J.R. I, I, I'm kind of getting some mixed signals here. I, I don't understand this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. You mean we are to love ourselves? I thought the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 2 that in perilous times men would be lovers of themselves, which is something we should not do. You know, he's there talking about narcissism. He's there talking about, you know, someone that's so filled up with himself, so puffed up with... That's not, what, that's not what Jesus is talking about when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He's not talking about narcissism. You know, I've got to tell you, loving oneself is a given. Did you know that? You remember in, Luke, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 39, when Jesus was talking to husbands, he said that husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He said, nobody ever, you know, you don't, nobody ever hates his own flesh, but we nourish and cherishes it. And, and there's something to be learned from that. Well, how, how do I take care of my body? How, how, how do I nourish and cherish my body? How, how does this look? I'm going to show you how it looks. What, what, what do you do when you're hungry? What do you do when your body gets hungry? i tell you what you do. You feed it. You feed it, you take care of the hunger. Love your neighbor as yourself. What do you do when you're cold? You get, you get some heat. You either put a coat on or you turn the heater up, you do something to warm up. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you do to the body. What do you do when you're, when you're hot? You cool off. What do you do when you're thirsty? You get something to drink. And you look, you look at all of the ways that we take care of our bodies. You know, that's what Jesus is saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's someone who's hungry. What do I do, what I do when I'm hungry? Here's someone who is, who, who is destitute. What do I do when I get destitute? What do I want done for me? What do I do when I'm cold? I want somebody to warm me up. And so that's no big shake. We can understand that, you see. We're to, love our, we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Let me take a detour here. And, and, I, and I want to address something that is very problematic to me. And that is the efforts that are underway not only to divide America, 
but to set one race against another and to try to get one race to despise themselves because of what happens to be the color of their skin, the pigmentation of their skin. We can't love our neighbor as ourselves if we begin to loathe ourselves. We are to respect the fact that we are made in the image of God, however God made us, and, with becoming, and on becoming Christians, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. You remember what Jesus told back in Matthew chapter 25 when he was giving us a glimpse, a glimpse of the coming judgment? Jesus pointed out in Matthew chapter 25 that there are going to be those that are on the left hand at judgment. And he's going to say to them, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now this gets serious. And they want to know, why is this? And he said, well, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. A stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then he said, whoa, 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 Lord. Wait a minute. When did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, or sick, or in prison? When did we see you that way? And when did we not take care of you? When did we not minister you? And Jesus said, well, wait a minute. It wasn't me directly. But I, he, he said, this, 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 is, this is what the answer is. He, he said, well, I'll tell you what. When you didn't do it to the least of one of these, those who had need, those who were hungry, those who were thirsty. When you ignored them, then you ignored me. When you didn't visit them, you didn't visit me. And these people were lost in eternity. Why is that? Were they lost because of false doctrine? Now, false doctrine will, will destroy you. But in this context, that's not what was destroying these people. What was destroying these people is they were ignoring the needs of those who had need. They were not loving their neighbor as themselves. If we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to have to not only love ourselves, but we're going to have to see ourselves in our neighbors. Now, let me show you what that means. You remember when Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 3. Paul reminded Titus of something that I think is very applicable to all of us. He said in verse 3 of Titus chapter 3, he said, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You know, you notice what he said? He said, this used to be us. We ourselves were once this way. Now, I'm looking at my neighbor, and now my neighbor is that way. But you know what? I've got to see myself in my neighbor. That used to be me. I used to live that way. I used to engage in that kind of behavior. I used to have that same rebellious spirit and attitude. And this is why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 9, he said, I am least of the apostles who was not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which is with me. And I'll tell you something. Yes, you look at a neighbor. Yes, he or she is shackled to their lust. Yes, they are 
But guess what? There was a time I was shackled to my lust. I see myself in my neighbor. Yes, I, I, I look at my neighbor and they're shackled to sin and they're shackled to hate and they're shackled to bigotry and they're shackled to rebellious attitudes. But you know what? I was at one time shackled to sin and hate and bigotry. And, and, and you know what? What convicted me and, and, and what convinced me may convict them and may convince them. And so what I'm going to try to do is try to convince them. But in order to do this, we've got to get involved. And I'll tell you what the big problem is that I see. The big problem that I see is we don't want to get involved with our neighbor. Especially a neighbor who is shackled to sin, shackled to lust, and shackled to ungodliness. We just simply want to just kind of walk away from that. But Paul said, Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 1, If a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. This is a very important matter. I've, if I see sin, I've got to get involved. I've got to see my neighbor as myself. This is going to destroy him. This is going to destroy her. And I'm not going to ignore that. What am I going to do? I'm going to try to restore such a one recognizing that that could have been me. So if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to love myself, and I'm going to see myself in my neighbor, and then you know what I'm going to do when I'm involved in trying to restore one who's overtaken in, in, in a trespass? Then I'm going to speak the truth with my neighbor. Is this what Paul said in Ephesians 4 and verse 24? Uh, verse 24, he said, you know, speak the truth with your neighbor, for we're members one of another. Speak the truth with the neighbor. Well, I, I don't want to hurt him. Speak the truth with the neighbor. I don't want to break up this friendship. Speak the truth with the neighbor. Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 27 and verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And this is exactly what we're talking about here. Yes, sometimes it may hurt. Sometimes what we say may, 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 may cause some pain. You look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, when Peter finished his sermon, these people were hurt. They were cut to the heart. They were accused of sin and they were rightfully accused of sin. They obeyed the gospel. Stephen, on the other hand, preaches in Acts chapter 7, these people were, uh, these people were cut but you know what? Now, they didn't respond. They just simply killed Stephen. But nevertheless, both were speaking the truth. Loving our neighbor means we warn them when they're on the wrong road. We take the time to study with them. Sometimes the conversation may even be unpleasant. There are people who don't want to hear the truth of what the Bible says about baptism. But I love them enough to show them what the Bible says. There are people who don't want to hear the truth about instrumental music. But I love them too much to ignore what the Bible says. And there are people who don't want to hear what the Bible says about, the, about marriage and divorce and remarriage and things that apply to the, to the human family. But if we love our neighbor, we're going to love them too much to ignore that. We love our neighbor, we speak the truth with our neighbor. 
It might, yes, it may be unpleasant. I get it. But we cannot ignore what the scriptures teach. Listen, in 2 Timothy, when Paul was writing to Timothy, giving Timothy some of his final words of exhortation and encouragement. This, did you realize that 2 Timothy would have been the last letter that the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, would have written before his death? And here's what he says to Timothy in that letter. In 2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 24, he says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. That's the whole key here. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. I'm going to tell you something. I cannot love my neighbor and avoid or shy away from talking about what the Bible says to do to be saved and to stay saved. If I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to see myself in my neighbor. I'm going to speak the truth with my neighbor. And I'm going to tell you something. I will never allow myself to become a stumbling block to my neighbor or to anyone else. Paul said in Romans 13, verse 8, Owe no one anything except love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, or, and if, if any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I will never compromise the truth. I will never conduct myself in such a way that will shame the Lord or sully a brother. And let me stop and say something about that. I think one of the ways that we're doing just the opposite of that in many places today is by means of social media. Christians will get on social media and they'll post things that are detrimental to the cause of Christ. It may be an immodest, ungodly picture. It may be someone wanting to grind an axe against a brother or sister in Christ and they throw that out for the world to see. And how can we do that and fulfill what he says in verse 10? Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I'm going to guard my tongue. I'm going to clean up any questionable habits that I have because I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to do harm to a neighbor. I don't want to do harm to the church, and I don't certainly want to do harm to the Lord. And I'll never, I'll never say, I don't care what somebody thinks. No Christian in his or her right mind can ever develop an attitude like that. Well, I just simply don't care what people think. Really? You want somebody to think you're a murderer? You want somebody to think that you're ungodly? You want somebody to think that you're, you just named the sin? Well, certainly you don't want to think that. You don't want them to think that. We can't have such an attitude as that. I want my neighbor to always believe that I will seek to glorify the Lord in all that I do. Loving God, 
means we also love our neighbors. And who is my neighbor? My neighbor is anyone whom I can help. I believe that the lawyer who came to Jesus with a trick question actually asked Jesus the wrong question. You know, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? I think the actual question that ought to be asked, and he should have asked it, and you and I should ask it tonight, whose neighbor am I? Do we love God? It's going to be evidenced in our obedience to him, and it will be evidenced in our love for our neighbor. And like I said, we cannot separate the two. Whose neighbor am I? If you're not a Christian tonight, I've not really addressed that subject during the course of our study, but I think I need to do that just now as we conclude our study. I was dealing with things tonight that all Christians ought to take serious and live by loving God and loving our neighbor. But I hope you don't leave this building tonight without demonstrating your undying love for God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, they're not grievous. He asked us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that love is going to be evidenced in doing exactly what he says. He is our Lord, he is our master, he is our king, he is our sovereign. And he tells us that we are to come to him on his terms. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus said that in Mark 16 and verse 16. Those are the words of Jesus. And if you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, you're willing to turn from a life of sin and turn your life over to him. That's called repentance. And confess that faith this evening. Be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. You can, in the words of Jesus, in Mark 16 and verse 16, you can leave this building tonight in a saved relationship with the Lord. And then you go out those doors. There's a whole world of neighbors out there that needs the influence of you as a Christian. You're subject to the Lord's invitation. We urge you to come right now. Together we stand and as we sing.